This is Defenders Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Moon Knight, Episode 4, The Tomb. Oh my days. First one in. Tomb fit for a pharaoh. Topmost two. Nefertiti. Oh, it's got to be one of the biggins. So, you kissed her. What are you going to do, try and drown us now? Yeah, I should. But you also told her the truth about why I haven't pushed her away. And that was unexpected. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is the Defenders Podcast, and we're talking about Moon Knight Episode 4, The Tomb. I am one of your sweet zombie podcasters, John. (laughs) I am your other co-host, Derek. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. (laughs) Well, it is the season of sweet sweet zombies. Mm -hmm, Uh, We do have a a sweet zombie priest. Yes, in this episode. It has been Easter recently, Mm -hmm. so a bit of zombie action going on there. That's true. And Um, uh, so, yeah. And Walkie Dead uh, finished its its second trimester, as they're calling it, for the final (laughs) season. uh, Just last week as well. So Uh, more... Another ending. Almost, almost, yeah. One one last patch of uh, Walking Dead episodes. So more, loads of zombies still out there, John. Definitely. But we're <laughs> not here to talk about zombies unless they're related to the Moon Knight fourth episode called The Tomb, where we go very National Treasure, Indiana Jones, you name it. Mm. Partially Jumanji, maybe. <laughs> maybe a little um, bit. Maybe a little bit. Uh, but well, we want to reassure all of our fellow defenders: Chris is not a zombie. Chris just isn't here with us this week. Uh, yes. Chris is off on holidays, uh, finally getting away from Ireland for a few days. Yes, he has gone to another plane by going on a plane. There you go. <laughs> to go to sunny Portugal. So very nice. Yes, yes. Um, but we will also say. This is the first episode of Moonlight that we're recording after the episode has aired as well. Uh, we did have this episode a month ago, um, just before the first episode of Moonlight aired. So we have seen this episode all the way back then, but we wanted to wait to get some of your reactions. I know I did. I wanted to see what the feeling was about this episode overall Definitely, from, from our yeah. fellow defenders and from uh, just an idea of what the impact of an episode like this is, because this is a big episode for Moonlight. It really is. It did have... Little hints of Legion for me, uh, mm-hmm. Marvel's Legion, in awesome terms show. of the, okay, uh, what now? And mm-hmm. um, what's happening? What's going on? What's reality? What's not reality? And, and, and all of that business. But, uh, yes, we are here for the spoiler filled discussion. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts on everything to do with the fourth episode of Moon Knight. Um, so yes, we hope you are staying subscribed to the podcast. Yep. If you are new to the podcast, you can head on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com where you can subscribe to any good or evil podcast catcher of mm-hmm. your choice. And of course, we absolutely love to get your thoughts, comments and theories, especially on a show like this. Uh, so you can send in your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Uh, you can also leave voicemail feedback mm-hmm. at 
tvpodcastindustries.com. There is a little uh, sidebar on the right-hand side where you can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, and as well, we are over on Facebook with our own Facebook group. Just head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TV Podcast Industries. And we leave a spoiler commenting post for everything to do with the episodes as they release. Absolutely. And just quickly, if you are going to join the Facebook group, make sure you answer the question. It's a simple one, uh, just to make sure we don't get any bots in the group. <laughs> that's simply it. It's a really easy question. Just what podcast are you listening to at the moment? Uh, yeah. That's all it is. Uh, so no. just tell us it's Moon Knight or Star Trek Picard, if that's what you're uh, watching. Um, it's just a way to make sure that the group stays for defenders and, and listeners to TV podcast industries. Exactly. We want no sweet zombie bots exactly. uh, going on in, in the group for for everyone's enjoyment of the group. Yeah. But with that, let us get into our spoiler-filled discussion. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Uh, once again, call out the executive producers for the show, Kevin Feige, Luis Desposito, Victoria Alonso, Grant Curtis, Bram Winterbaum, Oscar Isaac, Mohamed Diab, and Jeremy Slater, the creators of the show as well. Uh, this episode was directed by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson again, uh, back from uh, directing episodes earlier this season. The episode was written by Peter Cameron and Saber Perzada, who wrote the episode last week, and also written by Alex Minahan. Uh, Alex is an executive story editor on Moon Knight, the show itself. Uh, this is his first credit as a, as a writer on, uh, on Moon Knight, but he has previously written episodes of the Prime Video show Bosch as well. Is that about DIY tools? It is not. It ah, is not. Okay. No, it's a very big show about a uh, a detective. So a big detective ah. show over on uh, Prime Video. Who uses DIY tools in his investigations, no doubt. He might. Uh, he does have some tools of the trade, but uh, kind of like Inspector Gadget. Maybe. No, no, it's not like that at all. Ah, but okay. it does star Titus Welliver, an old alumni of uh, of Agents of Shield. Ah, yes. So uh, yeah. a big character and a big uh, a big actor uh, in a in a great role. So uh, you should watch Bosch. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, no, I jest, of course. I, of course, I jest. Of course, you do. But John, do you want to tell us what they all gave us with your synopsis for Moon Knight episode four, The Tomb? If you can, sure. As Conchus of Shabdi is placed in a vault with several other imprisoned gods, Layla and Stephen escape an attack by several of Arthur Harrow's men to find Harrow's camp eerily deserted at the site of Amit's tomb. On entering tomb, they begin to realise that it is a maze in the shape of the Eye of Horus. Navigating the maze, they discover an antechamber with plenty of fresh blood. As they explore the chamber, they must hide as one of Harrow's men is killed and his organs removed to canopic jars by an undead Egyptian priest. Stephen and Layla are attacked by the priest and are separated as they run to escape it. Layla encounters Harrow, who claims that Mark Spector was one of the mercenaries who murdered her archaeologist father. Meanwhile, Stephen finds the tomb and discovers that Amit's last avatar was Alexander the Great. Stephen and Mark discover Amit's Shabti inside Alexander's body, before Layla, finding the tomb, angrily confronts Mark about Harrow's assertion and demands to know the truth. Mark reveals that his partner killed Layla's father and everyone else at the dig site, including himself, before Conchu revived Mark as his avatar. But before they can resolve the situation, Harrow and his men arrive. Mark holds them off to buy Layla time to escape with the Ashabti, but Harrow shoots Mark twice in the chest. As Mark drifts off towards the light, he suddenly finds himself in a psychiatric hospital, tied to his wheelchair and holding a figure of Moon Knight. The ward is populated by people from his life. 
he is brought to his therapist, Arthur Harrow, where in his angry and disorientated state, Mark escapes his therapist. Running through the corridors to avoid the chasing orderlies, Mark finds Stephen in a separate body, trapped in a sarcophagus. They also see a second sarcophagus with someone else trapped inside, trying to get out. As Stephen and Mark continue their escape, they are greeted by the Egyptian goddess Tawet. Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> she seemed a very nice Egyptian goddess. <laughs> she certainly did. I love that. Hiya. Very friendly. Um, yeah, and, but the screams from Mark and Stephen as well really <laughs> punctuate the moment. Otherwise. Exactly. <laughs> I love the really fumble good. through the towels on the trolley uh-huh. uh, from Stephen. I thought that was a real sort of great little moment in that. In, in uh-huh. fact, I think, again... You know, the two of the, these two identities uh, of Mark and Stephen running through the corridors, mm-hmm. it was just really nicely observed by Oscar Isaacs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, th- those differences. I mean, I can't state it enough. It's just how fantastically he puts that, you know, distinguishing line mm-hmm. between the two that sort of comes out uh, through through these performances really really good yeah really good really good we have as i said earlier on we have waited weeks to talk about that episode this episode so oh, let's yeah. let's get into <laughs> it and talk about it uh, as we normally do in our in our main three point structure yes let us get on with our full moon point the camp, the tomb, and the priest. Oh, yes, yes. This is really feeling Indiana Jones for me right here. They just nailed this feeling of uh, of those movies for me. Um, you know, it's quite difficult. So many people have attempted it in the past and tried to do this. We uh, often joke about the other terrible movies that have tried to <laughs> knock it off in the past, like, like. National Treasure <laughs> or The Mummy. Uh, but nobody ever really gets that feeling of it because it's never treated with that kind of serious side to it. Here we get the horror, we get the um, the action, and we get that adventure side of it. This idea of some very intelligent people working with um, all their clues around them to to discover where they need to go. Uh, lots in here to squeeze into this hour long episode, and only about twenty minutes of it being on being spent on this um, discovery, I suppose, this investigation of the the Egyptian clues. Yeah, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they they certainly didn't hesitate to go down into the tomb, uh-huh. to abseil down into it. And although, yet, they... although uh, Stephen kind of did because he didn't even know what um, Billet was, he didn't know what abseiling <laughs> was at all, and he does fall very hard. He, he on the does, grounds. yeah. He he must have confused it with Belay that order uh, uh, yes. kind of thing from <laughs> Star Trek. I'll I just guess. stop on the edge. Yeah. But it's interesting because it was absolutely deserted and they didn't hesitate to go in and i'm just there thinking you know has you know eerie campsite yeah. uh, no one around you know has nobody ever sort of remembered the the fact of you know don't disturb an ancient egyptian tomb yes somebody should be on that. whether it's a curse or whether it is zombie priests uh-huh. uh continuing their age-old tradition of of mummification and ripping things <laughs> through nostrils well, and yes. placing them into canoptic jars. You know, they just keep going. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, the wheel keeps turning, so <laughs> to speak. Um, and, uh, but so I, I was kind of like, you know, they, they did kind of move in fairly easily. You know, it was good because they're picking up the supplies. You see Layla mm-hmm. being resourceful here. There is the, the bloody scalpel. Um, shot that's out of sight of yeah. the two of them. Yeah. But also you do get some nice uh, interaction 
between Stephen uh, and and Mark again here. Yes, you, you do. Know, where Stephen just wants him to go, and you know you get the the great response back from Mark saying, "I'm not going to disappear." You know, it doesn't yeah. work like that. Exactly. And and again, the use of the reflective surfaces, so the sort of in the glass on the table, yeah. and the the reflection effectively operating independently of, of, of what Stephen is doing. But also, um, the one I really, really enjoyed was where effectively Stephen has had enough and walks out of, of the tent and Mark's trapped in the, the cracked mirror. Yes. Shouting at him, <laughs> you know, trying to make him stay so he can put his point across. I thought that was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And it kind of all adds together to the motivation of why Layla wants to do this. She wants to do it because her father was an archaeologist. Um, and had this kind of mission. This was his life's goal, effectively. You know, this is the kind of nod to Indiana Jones and his father, Henry yeah, Jones, being absolutely. so obsessed. This is the obsession of her father. She's going to follow that along. But Stephen is coming at it from a different point of view. He's starting to really care for Leila. And he believes he's able to do all the stuff that Mark can do without the brutality. Yeah, he be- he believes there's the muscle memory there because ultimately he has also done it. Yeah. And again, Mark is kind of cautioning him about that Absolutely. as well. I think if it says to Stephen, if you go anywhere near her, I'll throw our body off a cliff <laughs> to him. So there is this complete fight between the two of them. Stephen yeah. is now totally falling head over heels for Layla. She's giving him a small compliment. She says to him that Mark was never honest with me. That's more your thing to Stephen. And that is the indication to him that there may be something more between them as well. He's kind of um, going, oh, that's a compliment from, from Layla here, you know? Yeah, well, that's it. I, I really like that because there is this, you know, battle of of Stephen and Mark. And mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing is, is because that's such a, like, interesting dynamic for, yeah. and the perspective that it's coming from. But there's also, I think, sometimes maybe kind of sometimes forget about it, but there is also Layla there. And I, I yeah. really like the little conversation between Stephen and Layla as they're going to the camp in the Jeep mm. where... You know, she's really wanting Mark to be there instead of Stephen because of the danger that they're going to encounter. Well, yeah. But Stephen wants Mark shut out, but that they've made this deal that Stephen tells Layla about. And, you know, Layla makes the valid point. Did you not think to ask me before removing him from my life? Yeah. You know, even though Stephen retorts back with, well, wasn't he already removed from your life yeah but again i think it's that point just before they go into the tomb as well where Stephen says why mark has trying to be trying to protect her uh so the country doesn't make her his avatar exactly and you know that's when she says all i want is honesty your honesty yeah but again they've known this for quite some time and her agency is reduced. She's she has agency. She's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, but they're trying to protect her in a way that she probably doesn't need protection. She certainly needs less protecting than Stephen does. Um, and it's the idea that these two men in her life now, Stephen and Mark, have been in their minds protecting her by keeping information from her you know she seems massively capable she seems as we've seen throughout the season so far she seems as capable as mark is without the suit let's say um and she even makes reference to that here the only good thing about him was a suit and he doesn't even have that now so 
what could Mark be able to do more yeah. than Stephen could do? And she really needs Stephen on this mission too, because he's the one that knows all of the information that is required to crack the case, I guess. And, um, yeah, and way. I think that's the really nice thing now, is that once they have repelled successfully or unsuccessfully mm -hmm. into the tomb, yeah. um, then Stephen comes into his own here. Or, you know, you see the excitement. Yes. He, he is like... Um, going someone going into one of those tombs or going to the pyramids or or going to any of those kind of mystical ancient sites Absolutely. and he you know he's the proverbial pig in in shit basically yeah. he's loving it well speaking and of which i love his moment with the uh with the two guard uh guard statues that are outside and he's going um <laughs> I wish they'd come alive and just ask me a question for entry and passageway into this into this place. <laughs> exactly. I would shit myself, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> love it, love it. It's Real really excitement. good. Yeah. But again, it, you know, his knowledge here helps. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. Effectively, decipher the tomb. Yes. Now, I, I just wish here the camera had been a bit clearer to what nods they were picking up on, and mm. um, for him to suddenly draw the eye of Horus on there. But I loved that whole explanation. You really saw that Stephen's knowledge here helping them to understand the tomb, yeah. what the maze represents, and which way they should go yeah. on the basis of the voice of Armit uh, being this pharaoh. And that they, they mm. think at this moment. But I would have liked a few more nods with the cameras who are marking on the wall yeah. or to a few other things, um, or more obvious ones if they did it, just to, to show that logic of them going through it a bit. I know but, what you mean. It's, it's all really taken from Layla saying the six pathways and he thinks of the number six and makes that connection to the air horse yeah. and then draws it on top of the, uh, the sarcophagus that's there in the entryway exactly which kind of got reflected back mm. up onto the ceiling which i just wondered whether that would happen from sand i'm just not too, like a digital watch yeah or a watch face <laughs> well he's shining he's shining his torch on top of it so i was thinking was it gold underneath that oh, he'd maybe. gotten through yeah. to gold exactly. maybe and that was shining up but yeah i know what you mean it, it, again they have so much to cover here that they're covering you know three quarters of an indiana jones movie in these <laughs> yeah, exactly. in these 20 minutes at the start but it is really good and, it, and in comes the uh the horror element effectively yeah. with uh zombie um priest i guess we're calling him um who's who, <laughs> come, so. who comes in with the body of billy who we saw as uh, as one of the police officers and one of uh harrow's followers dragging this body in behind him and effectively killing him and and uh performing his ritual on yeah. this, this live follower of putting one Harrow, of the yeah. organs that he's viscerated mm -hmm. um into one of the canopic jars and whilst brutal end for Billy, it, it really is a brutal end. But I just kept wondering, well, what has he been doing before these people found the tomb and entered the tomb? Because it just felt like it was, you know, he took up from where he left off back uh, in, in those days. And he's <laughs> yeah. started going on his mummification killing spree, basically. Well, yeah. But I really like this. I loved how they drew the horror element. I mean, even I thought. You know, when Stephen got up onto that kind of mezzanine part of that chamber, mm -hmm. that there was another mummified body on a table. I thought yeah. that was suddenly going to spring upright <laughs> uh, to life. 
and so on. So I, I really enjoyed throughout the whole of this episode, there's that great classic horror uh, moment of being pulled into the darkness that happens oh, to yes. Layla with the, um, with the zombie priest that just really lent into, yeah, that absolutely horrific and frightening part of, you know, when you think <laughs> well, of mummification yeah. and what they did, granted they're not alive, but yeah. it's quite graphic in that sense. Yeah. And, you know, and it's also, I guess, there's a protective element here for these priests mm. with the dead pharaoh. So I, I really like this um, This whole... I'm glad they lent into it, you know? They, yeah. I think they could quite easily not have done. Exactly. And, and I, I thought that was a, a, a nice call from, like, the directors and the writers just to lean into that a little bit, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. You need, you need this horrific moment. You've already had some creatures before uh, in the episodes. This is their lair effectively that Layla and, and Stephen are penetrating. So uh to have that uh scary aspect to it is is really is really good. And of course showing such a recognizable one of Harrow's followers being the one that's taken and taken out instantly shows you that Harrow must have been going through this with all of his uh crew, all of his followers. That's <laughs> yeah. why the entire Where campus deserted. Where did he go? Because Where they're all down together. Like yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love I love this alternate movie that's going on where each of them are getting picked off one by one as they're trying to find their way through these paths. You know, again, remember, Stephen has worked out the correct path to go down, but I presume Harrow didn't work out the correct path to go down because Stephen gets to the tomb first. Yeah. Um, so Harrow's men and, and followers, so Harrow's followers are all going down various paths, getting picked off left They're and right. They're getting caught in the maze that has been set out to protect the pharaoh's body. Exactly. That, that That's the interesting thing here, I, I I think, as well, is that, you know, I kind of assumed that Harrow, because of his talk of Amit, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the cane, doing Amit's justice here with the cane and mm. seeing all that, that... It was in effect going to be a breeze for him. Right. Uh, walking in, knowing which way to go, because he's got the beetle. And that's the thing. He does end up at the, um, at the tomb with the beetle. So it, I'm it's wondering, terrible. did the beetle take him on the wrong route or was he not using the beetle or was it because he was having to do other things whilst they were, you know, going into the tomb before that? So, so what I mean is, yeah. Arthur, in a nutshell, um, doesn't seem like he's the chosen one, if you see what I mean, for Armit. Mm. It's like he's seeking Armit out for maybe a very different purpose than what we think. Maybe it is just to be Armit's avatar and release her from uh, the the stone imprisonment, mm-hmm. the Ishbashti. But there's just something because of how unsuccessfully he has been in finding his way, or at least his team, through right. the tomb and to the central burial chamber, that I feel maybe he isn't. Well, the way I take it is that Ahmed has no agency here at all. She's trapped. He's trying to find her. We know that he's not her avatar. He's the number one follower who wants to release her, release her back on the world. And that's his total objective. He wants to get there. He has the scarab. That's what's led him to the tomb. He's now following that to lead, to lead himself to the actual 
location of the of the body or of the ashati um but that's all he's effectively following a map yeah, to a location that is true. she's not telling him to go there she's not protecting him from all the traps that are set out there effectively all of his followers it seems they're the ones that are getting taken out left right and center or at least we saw we saw one of them there and a number of other People have been killed, as yeah. we can see from uh, the uh, the work that's done by zombie priests, let's say. So yeah. I think it's not like Harris saying this, but it's almost like he's there with that amount of followers with him because he's kind of using them as a barrier between him and the things that could get in his way to get to the tomb. <laughs> they're all still following him. But as I say, there could be this alternate movie that's going on where half of his followers have run away because they're terrified by this zombie well, priest true. who's been dragging yeah. them off and killing them. You know? And also, it. it- doesn't ultimately fill me with confidence that you know if he is successful with Armit mm-hmm. and releasing her that she will view him with any great favor Absolutely for him right. to be her avatar and yet at the end of last episode you know he does whisper to Conchu whilst he's imprisoned or has been imprisoned and uh-huh. um, that you know my victory will be down to you so is it the victory over Amit, mm. you know. So again, I, I think this. It, it, it there's a few things where it just you're just not entirely sure, and I, I'm just wondering, you know, what direction will happen here. To take one more um, little bit from Indiana Jones, it's kind of like the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the the Nazis were looking for that the whole time. When they get it, they get destroyed because. They think they can use it as a weapon, but that's not the real plan. So yeah. I wonder if Hera is going to be staring into the face of Amit and she judges him poorly and and takes him out immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no guarantee he's going to be her avatar just because he's the one that released her. He feels that that's, that's what's going to happen to him. But potentially she could be uh, judging him falsely by the end of the end of the season. That so is true. We will see. We will see on that. Do we want to move on to uh, our next point, John? Yes. Let us get on to our half moon point. Yes. Layla meets Harrow and Stephen meets Alexander the Great. Absolutely. I should pause here just to point out to see the uh, the video this week of May Kalamaway, um doing our full moon half moon and totally clips points <laughs> yes, with a jaffa cake it was with a jaffa cake um this is for marvel uk they did this specifically for the uk audience i'm sure it's been seen now around the world but uh, it was an old advert um that used to be on tv over here for jaffa cakes gorgeous biscuits um orange flavored biscuits lovely, yeah, lovely. orange chocolate yeah. yeah really nice um but just in case uh, you're wondering why our structure follows uh, the same thing that she uh, was calling out in in that uh, particular promo clip, it's because it comes from the same adverse, basically. So I thought it was really fun. Great yeah, to see you make out more there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Just a quick interruption. Um, let's <laughs> let's continue on with uh, Layla's discussion with Harrow because this is a big moment. It's been referenced a few times and enough so the audience, all of us watching the show. I don't think are massively surprised by Harrow's revelation to her. No. He's been hinting at it all along that the murder of her of her father had something to do with with Mark. Absolutely. Her and I love actually how he still doesn't say that it was Mark. Mm-hmm. She makes the jump. That's true. And he says, Well, you said it. Um yeah. and he kind of says he was there and effectively true. corroborates what Mark says. Now, I'm not saying that it makes it any better, mm. but it's leading her down that garden path to Absolutely. come to that 
judgment uh, and that leap of faith, mm. you know, or that. Um, and that's what it was just so wonderfully manipulative as to how he, you know, brought this out. I mean, it was a great conversation. You know, he teased her up by using what her father said to her, you know, my little scarab. Yes. He tells about her own father, you know, and that she will soon be, um, you know, in that position that he was as a unique archaeologist in believing that Egyptian gods walked among us, that she would mm-hmm. be able to see uh, the evidence of that. Yeah. And, you know, even down to the fuchsia scarf um, where she has some doubts, you know, he just adds these little touches. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just thought that was really, really good. And also referencing that moment, Back where he is actually judging Stephen, but he says your husband is in agony. In yes, reference that's to right. Mark, you know, he hasn't told you the truth, and um, that you know your father was killed by mercenaries, mm-hmm. and you know this just sets up um, really that fantastic moment um, in the burial chamber. But I, I, I thought this conversation was just so manipulative of Arthur Harrow. Absolutely. And, you know, May Calamaway is just really good at the end. You know, it's that moment of going down the the passageway out of sight and having to take that moment to breathe, you know, the tears. Yeah. Because of effectively what she's been told. Um, And I just thought that was really, really good. Absolutely. I guess we connect that to the other scene, right? We'll talk about Stephen in uh, in a moment, but let's connect it to the other scene, the actual confrontation of Mark. She goes find Stephen in the tomb and asks to speak to Mark because of the urgency. That's, that's, uh, that's honor. No longer scared of what's going to happen. If, uh, Amos is released or if Harrow finds them she wants to get to the bottom of what's happening between in their relationship and how that all got started effectively and what and what happened to her father um Mark absolutely confirms he was there he was one of the people that was at uh, that dig site um with her father Abdul El Fouli um and right into the comic book origins of Moon Knight we have the reveal that one of the mercenaries in comic books it was Bushman who turned on them um, and kill them all yeah. effectively. Mark specifically calls out he should have died that night, but didn't die that night. Um, he doesn't go into the next bit of that explanation. Yeah. He didn't die that night because Conchu saved him from death, uh, which is the comic book origin of, uh, of the character. That's yeah. where he, he comes back to life. Or it's, it maybe actually it might not even be as clear as that really early on, but later on, that's how you find out. Mark Spector got the powers of Moon Knight and, and, and has the powers of Conchu. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it was really good. And I, I, I like the fact that, you know, when Mark takes control of the identity, the immediate thing for Mark is we need to get out of here. Yes. It's not even listening to what Layla, uh, is confronting him, him with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you kind of understand that from the conversation earlier where Layla's like saying, well, Mark, if he was here, would just want to go on a solo run and True. discount everyone. So he is like that focus of Mark as he comes uh, back as the dominant identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, um, you know, when pushed, he immediately says no, that he didn't kill her father. Yes. And I thought the reaction of Layla was just so good where it was, but you were there. Yeah. Um, And he says, yes, I was. Like, he was there. And it's 
that's how we met. This is why we met. You know, this is the reason for it. There's no accident that we met. You knew. And one final thing from Mark, he does say, I tried to save your father, but couldn't save him before being executed. So he was also executed there is what he's saying. So there is more to that. I don't know whether we're going to get something like that on the show, whether we're going to get a flashback to it. But I I do think he gives enough description about what happened in that moment for you to know that this will be really weighing heavily on Mark's mind. And then he went out, sought her out, felt the uh, guilt, as she says, for what happened in the situation. And that's how they could start their relationship effectively. So um, we don't really know if that's entirely accurate to why they started their relationship, but that's Layla's feeling here after hearing that side of the story or hearing that part of the story before Harrow's men arrive yeah um but it's really good to see that they've incorporated so much of the origin story into this moment and done it this way for me i really enjoyed uh seeing that on screen in, in some way and having such stakes for those major characters for Leila and for uh and for mark yeah exactly i guess just rewinding a little <laughs> we have steven uh, arrive first into the burial chamber mm-hmm. and and realizes that the the text isn't just Egyptian hieroglyphics here, but that there is a Greek uh, script as yes. well, and that um, the tomb is of Alexander the Great, the That's... famous general that conquered much of the, you know, well, a, a lot of the known world at the time, That's sort right. of famous for the battles in Persia mm-hmm. and so on. But it was he who was the last avatar of of Armit. So really interesting. Uh, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't know that he classed himself as, you know, the last pharaoh. Uh, That's a that really sense. interesting one, yeah. Uh, I they... guess because he had taken over what was ancient Egypt as he yeah. expanded um, you know, his his empire. But uh I I never be, yeah. knew of that, assuming it is correct, and it's not just historical license for for this, but um, well, they say the last avatar of Amit was a pharaoh, and then Stephen discovers it is Alexander the Great. I'm not yeah. too sure whether Alexander the Great claimed he was the last pharaoh because Leila didn't make that connection. It was only when Stephen got into the tomb itself that he realizes this is Alexander the Great's tomb. And he's a pharaoh. So yeah, no. All, yeah. I think all I meant there was that he claimed himself as a pharaoh, right. a great okay. pharaoh of Egypt. When I'm guessing he he took over mm. the the land. And yeah, that could be it. So I thought that was really interesting. Maybe it's suggestive of why he raged these battles so far and how mm. why as a personal empire of himself, it was so vast that this was Armit's will in yes. terms of justice being meted down. So it'd be I do, interesting I do to see like when they take what more we like get that. from this, because yeah. it's really interesting yeah. uh, to see, you know, how they connect the history of Alexander the Great to um the the story of Moon Knight. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it'd be really, really good. I love twists and real history. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's, always, it's really good. Always fun in supernatural shows. Yeah. But ultimately, then they get um, pinned into the the tomb as mm. uh, as Arthur and his heavies arrive, wanting to get the Ashapti um, from from the tomb, which Stephen has already taken yes. by. Again, going back to, well, the voice of, of Armit. So 
the the ashabti was um down in his esophagus yes. into in his throat to hide it from uh tomb raiders yeah. uh to to quote an, another well-known <laughs> uh, archaeological uh property absolutely and you want to hide it somehow from the people who just go all the way down here push open the top of the tomb exactly. and then walk away and, going, and take the here. headdress yeah. and the shield and <laughs> yeah. the axe um but Layla is given time to escape, you know, it mm-hmm. is kind of pushed away to hide whilst then um, Mark is confronted by Arthur. And again, Arthur here is, is quite reasonable. He's Absolutely. like, I remember the silence when Conchu was no longer effectively rummaging around in my mind and, and in my mm-hmm. ears. Uh, and you now have this moment where what the choice you make now is effectively your choice mm-hmm. to hand the shabti or you know not yeah and whatever you decide it is your decision here well exactly which exactly. was really good and it's interesting that arthur's calling that out because he's not like stephen mark he's not like them he doesn't have that other identity inside of him like mark has um, so he's actually not speaking on that same level to Mark as he thinks he is, because there's also Stephen there. There's also other stuff going on yeah, with exactly. this person. Um, so he's saying to him, you know, you can just give up and walk away effectively and you'll all live um, if I can accomplish my goals. But it's already inside Mark and Stephen that they need to protect the world from uh, from him. It's, yeah. not, it's not just Conchu telling them in their minds this is what they must do. It's also their own impetus that they want to stop this from happening here. So, uh, so I, I like that that side of the conversation before those two bullets go into Mark. Yeah. Wow. Was I expecting the credits to roll right there? Yeah. Exactly. With a shocker of an ending, like massively shocking ending, to have your main character shot twice in the chest, um, and then fall into this pit at the back well that's it i think because i was thinking of sweet zombie priest (laughs) i did just write in my notes that that i was like it's the double tap okay not in the head like you would a zombie but it is he's shot twice in the chest Uh and you know at least through the lungs if not the heart and definitely i thought this was where credits roll and and uh yeah, off off we wait till episode <laughs> five, and then we go Legion uh, uh, slightly. Yeah. Uh, yes, we do. But for- just to, just to say again, set up of the show, and particularly in these scenes here, Mark has said he was supposed to die from bullet wounds in the past. He was saved in the past, um, so that did happen before. The big difference, though, of course, is. Conchu's all locked up. So yeah, his protection um, is not there yeah. for, for Mark or Stephen. And it's not just the protection, it's also Conchu isn't there at all to to do what he may have done last time. Yeah. So uh, so interesting. Um let's get on to the final piece and the reason why we've been waiting for a few weeks to talk about uh, the episode are total eclipse, our final moments of the episode. The ward. Yes, it is Mark floating to the light. Mm. Of the adventures of Dr. Stephen Grant and the <laughs> the Tomb Busters. Um, yes. And just coming to the whiteness of this psychiatric hospital. And mm-hmm. um, again, just you're there kind of going, what does this mean? So is this his reality? 
you know, or not? Uh-huh. Or is this, as he's drifting through the water, it, you know, that afterlife element or, and he's going into his mind. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a whole rake of possible interpretations here, but I, I definitely feel that this is him in his own mind. And yes. He's populating his mind with, you know, the hints of Stephen and Mark's life, the experiences that they've had. You know, we see there's the goldfish in the bowl, there's, or Gus, the, the plastic. I think it's plastic in this case. But in Arthur Harrow as the therapist in mm-hmm. his room, you see the Alpine picture with the church and the castle. That's right. Um, from uh, episode one. Yeah. We, you know, we see the cupcakes being delivered uh, to different patients uh, by Beck, uh, one of the, the security guard for Anton. Um, yes. And you see two other orderlies, you know, attending to other patients mm-hmm. like Donna from the museum. Yeah. But, the, the, you know, these other two orderlies are the two police officers, Bobby and Billy, that we saw arrest Stephen in mm-hmm. his apartment, were part of that advance uh, trip to... The tomb of Omit when they found it for the first time, and Billy, who we just saw eviscerated by exactly. a, a zombie uh, priest as well. Uh, did you also notice the uh, the bingo caller as well? Is Crowley the living statue from, uh, yes. from the first episode? Yeah. So, uh, so he has got a line in the episode as well, and has is giving out information, is giving out the bingo numbers uh, to everybody in the room. Uh, I must say, I had to pause for a second when uh, when Donna was saying whatever she was saying. I was like, this must be really important, and turned on the subtitles and it went, and she went. I wish you'd give us more numbers in uh, in row O. That was all it was. That's all she was talking about. She was still interested in bingo. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting here is right at the start when Stephen and Layla are trying to navigate, decipher how to break the code mm-hmm. for the tomb, the... And they're talking about the Eye of Horus, which is the royal seal of the afterlife, like a protection. But it's that they do call it the Eye of the Mind as well. Yes, they do. Yes. So um, I think indications here that we're inside Stephen's mind. Yeah. uh, And that he's building this all out from from the memories. I think you're you're totally right. Um, There's some interesting stuff, though, that's in here. You know, I, I suppose my concern for anybody who's watching the show right now then I have to wait a week, which is good. And yeah. there is more story, which is great. But my concern is I did see a lot of people going, oh, no, the episode means the whole series has been a dream so far. I don't think it's that. No, I don't. I, don't. I know there's loads of little indications and clues of things that are going on in outside of this world and things that have happened in the last three episodes. You know, we, again, the reference to the mummies in here with that terrible production of uh, of tomb buster that's the mummy versus the, what's going on in the real world which is indiana jones um so same production values um so there's that kind of stuff but there is some interesting stuff there's an interesting moment with him and layla talking about their investigation effectively she's yeah. still investigating with mark she's putting things up on the board and then there's a little bit of duplicitousness in there, which was interesting. So if this is happening in in Mark's mind, does he not trust Layla? Because she effectively realizes he's won bingo, takes the bingo card off him and says, I won, and then says to him, oh, no, I'll split the winnings with you this time. So is that Mark's version of Layla? 
is does he think that he can't trust her? Is there something else that's that's underlined there? It, or it could be, and yeah. it could be something to do with the dealings with Madripoor. You know, if you yeah. think of you know effectively uh, illegal black marketeers, mm -hmm. so you know not necessarily the most trustful of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's really kind of interesting. Oh yeah, uh, some of this. I mean, even you know when it comes to. The therapist Harrow, you know, Mark is sedated in this in this moment, mm -hmm. um, and he's like, everything reminds me of you know. Mark is trying to sort of just connect it, and Harrow says of your past, of Stephen, mm -hmm. you, know, you used to work for a. A moon god used to be an employee of exactly. Him. So I yeah. mean, I think all of this is is flagging that it's in his mind for yeah. sure. And I will I will say, if it's not happening in his mind, if he's just woken from a dream, that word is pretty excessively embellished with uh, Egyptian ornaments and <laughs> yeah. sarcophagi going on uh, around the place. Pretty unlikely this is in the real world, and he's just woken from a dream. It's heavily, <laughs> yeah, th like thematic isn't yeah. it really yeah. for a ward i mean it it's interesting is. the end credits you see the, the corridors of of this building that's right in there um sort of interchanging with the uh, storage uh facility that's that right. they went to yeah. i think you know this is most definitely the classic version of when chris says they zigged when they when they should have zagged. Well, this is kind of they they zigged and zagged to to get to this point. Yep. But it was really really good because I think, I mean, this is highly evocative for me of of Legion. Yeah, and um, which basically did this kind of stuff because, as you were saying, they ran out of budget, or their budget was quite small to well, some extent. Some of the ways that they did it, I'll yeah. say. This is not a low-budget version of it. No, this, it's not. This scene in the war, there's so much going on there. Even, as I say, even with the poor production of Tomb Buster, that's quite a big thing to do, to film Definitely. those scenes that are going on. That's where Stephen Grant gets his name, apparently. Um, according to this, the doctor that's in this movie is called Stephen Grant, Dr. Stephen Grant. So uh, so potentially Mark has just been sitting there observing everything around him and creating this world outside from all the things he's seeing around him effectively. So uh, so that's what you're supposed to think uh, from what's going on here. Also, I thought it was interesting in, Harrow, uh, in Harrow's discussion with him, this, uh, this psychologist or psychiatrist, Harrow, um, speaking to him saying, I've also gone through the same experiences you've had. I've had psych psychic episodes. I've also gone to the, the lowest depths, which is almost what Harrow's been saying to Mark and Stephen since the beginning, saying, I've experienced the same thing you have. Yeah. I was formerly the avatar of Moon Knight. Um, I've had those experiences and I've gotten through them. So I thought that was quite an interesting thing that, that they pulled into this version of Harrow inside the, inside his mind. Definitely. And of course, then there's, the whole compartmentalization of of this facility mm -hmm. where in escaping Harry's office, they, he goes into a room with a sarcophagus with mm -hmm. the screams from Stephen asking to be let out. And we get Mark and Stephen hugging. Yeah, is, is let out. And it's kind of oh, like, lovely. oh, found you, you know, yeah. kind of best friend. 
but the other then the hint to this third person that we've talked about mm-hmm. it's this other identity is quite ominous as the sarcophagus is stood up and shaking yes it's kind of like angry sarcophagus yeah oh maybe to, yeah. i mean I it, it, you. do you know what i mean it, and i love again the expressions of uh you know as mark sees as the shot shows mark looking into the room and he's kind of like you know like does a furrowed brow like thinking mm. what's this because exactly. in another room i've just found stevens and yeah. like what's this and then as it as the the shot goes to the corridor you have Stephen walking past that same room, kind of looking in, going, "Oh, like surprise!" and pointing at it, like exactly. sort of jokingly, almost. Yeah. Um, so what's that? What so, what is so what's so, that? So there's two options, right? One option is it's the other identity. Yeah. Yeah. So Jake, Jake is what we've been calling it uh, across the episodes, and all of our feedback and uh, our knowledge of the comic books tells us it's very likely Jake. It's also possibly. The representation of Khonshu being locked up because Khonshu was it locked up be. at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I was wondering, and I know you mentioned there's loads of theories about what this could possibly mean, this whole room. There's also the possibility that both Stephen and Mark are inside their mind as Jake has taken over as the uh, the main identity now. Um, After being shot. Potentially. Yeah. So maybe Jake is in control of the body while these two are inside yeah. uh, and experiencing or meeting each other for the first time. I think that could be really an interesting possibility because, you know, if, if we are saying this is in the mind, mm. then Mark and Stephen have just been shot twice in the chest. Yes, true. Far from home, far from Cairo, and mm-hmm. um, with, you know, hostile forces, yeah. with the great protector imprisoned in stone. Uh-huh. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, there is, you know, going to be, you know, and, and then coming into this mind world, it, you just start thinking of the more spiritual and um, supernatural elements that could bring Mark back to life and Stephen. Yes, true. Um, even where we have, um, you know, right at the end with Tarette, um, the the goddess of childbirth and fertility. See, that's an interesting one, Egyptian yeah. Egyptian goddess coming in. And so it's the hippo, it is the hippo god saying hi. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. it is the hippo god. And, okay, I don't know a lot about this, this goddess, mm-hmm. um, but at least from a quick search online, it <laughs> is that uh, she is goddess of childbirth and fertility. And, yeah, it, it, but it is a protective uh, goddess mm. uh, at certainly a protective one and um, and one of the interesting things that because of the nature of what had happened in the tomb with the two gunshots was that she commonly bears the epithets um of lady of heaven interesting um, and mistress of the horizon and, and you know you kind of see him floating and mm-hmm. the very kind of afterlife type uh element to it and i'm wondering if a bit like with the wheel of time this it's that cycle of renewal or something so it could be i i I really just don't know to be honest uh but but we feel it could also just be a real real life that jake pumped with adrenaline Mm -hmm. after being shot twice in the chest 
could also have some kind of protection on there Maybe. if they'd gone around the camp. One, I've just never been so excited for the next episode to oh happen, God, quite yes. frankly. Absolutely. And that's just because of where they are at the moment, mm-hmm. that they've just met a hippo goddess mm-hmm. right at the end. It seems very chummy. Yeah. And, and hopefully then, they're to help. Like, yeah. that's what you kind of think. Maybe she's there to get them out of where, wherever they're stuck in, in the mind, and they're off to save Kanshu together, potentially. Exactly. Well, like if you go with the premise that this is Mark and Stephen's mind, then there's a real-life situation of him just having been shot. True, yeah. And that there could be a, the you know intriguing spiritual side of this, mm-hmm. or it could be a real-life explanation. And as you say, I, I like the idea that maybe Jake has taken over mm. in this moment because it's so extreme. Yeah. And in order to do something... Um, but not too sure what he would be able to do. And that's why I just want episode five toot sweet. Absolutely. Absolutely. One more week. Um, it, it does end exactly at that moment. You only have to wait a week for, uh, for episode five. So uh, anything else you want to talk about the episode that we haven't spoken about at all yet, John? No, I've got no more, uh, no more from my notes. I think, I don't know if I mentioned it, but just that Beck is serving cupcakes in yes. terms of the cupcake van. Um, again, I just, I loved all these little nods. Oh, they're great, you, know, aren't they? you had the cane, you had the, yeah. the, the, the crocs on, um, on, uh, Harrow's feet as, yeah. as the therapist. Um, there was just that, Mark was tethered to the wheelchair as uh-huh. well, and then he has the little figurine of, of Moon Knight yeah. as well. I'm surprised that wasn't a Marvel were... Select toy, um, so they could sell those uh, at the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> but so, it looks it, it looks old and used. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Really good episode overall. Uh, John, uh, to that point, what did you think of the episode? Do you defend Moon Knight episode four of the two? I really do. I'm mm. really enjoying this uh, whole series. I, I think it's the whole Egyptian element. I think it's yep. with the identities of Mark. It's Layla. And just the whole thing is just really kind of gripped me. And um, so I would give this five sweet zombie priests out of five. <laughs> Again, bringing that horror into it, that just leaning on it. It, mm. you know, it wasn't overly horror. Um, but it just lent into it. It gave that sense of, of ancient Egyptian tomb and the nasties that may lurk uh, within it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, no curse this time, like with Tutankhamun, but certainly plenty of, uh, you know, priests still wanting to do their, their thing, oh, yeah. you know. But you uh, are supposed to think that at the beginning, that when the camp is empty of people, you exactly. are supposed to think something happened Certainly to Certainly with the all. bloody scalpel yes. as well. Yeah. Um, I, I thought this just, you know, fantastic sort of uh, switch here <laughs> in that moment after he's shot. I love the revelation of Alexander the Great as yes. well. I love the the confrontation between Layla and Mark coming from the 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 conversation over you know the yawning uh, gap uh, between uh, Layla and Harrow. Absolutely. I thought um, again, you know, the dynamic between Mark and Stephen's identity really strong here, and I I actually liked how they brought Layla's agency. Well, why didn't you tell me about this Absolutely. or one of you um, at some point? Why I mean, do you keep choosing to protect yeah, me from something exactly. as if I need protection? Yeah. Um, and then moving into, you know, the brilliant white of 
at least at the moment, Mark's mind yep. um, for me. Yep. And the hippo goddess <laughs> popping Absolutely. up at the end, sort of yeah. kind of all friendly and nice. Um, I just thought it it really just gripped my interest all the way through. Yeah. Um, and absolutely has uh, had me gagging for episode five. And um, so on that note, I'd give it five sweet zombie priests out of five. Yeah, this is a massively good episode. I loved yeah. this. Like we uh, we have said, we were able to watch the four back to back. We were able to watch them early, which is great. But you got to this point and it's a direct reference to a comic book run. This is the Lemire run um, that a lot of Moon Knight fans love so much. This uh, this reference here in the moment where we have uh the um the ward as we're calling it um it's something that you'll see if you look along the shelves of moon knight comics or moon knight um collected graphic novels you'll see some images from this right here i'm so intrigued about how they're going to bring in this third identity of mark whether he's got his own agency already while they're in here in the mind that would be a really interesting way to bring him in do we get a third moon knight suit if that's the case if he Hell gets yeah. a free uh conchu and gets the powers of moon knight do we get a third moon knight suit um i thought this was brilliantly structured thought it was an excellent episode of the show and yeah exactly as yourself i can't wait for next week i can't wait to uh Go down the, the trail of the last two episodes of Moon Knight. Excellent stuff. So really good stuff from episode four. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into feedback, let us head on over to the bar with no name for our pub quiz. Yes. So fellow quizzes, fellow defenders, it is question four. In the vault of the imprisoned gods, how many Ashaptis or stone statues are seen in total, including Conchu's Ushapti. Ooh, that's a that's a counting one. You might be there for a minute, uh, counting these. Well, yeah, it is yeah. a it is a watch and pause part Definitely. of the the episode, <laughs> um, Definitely. and it, it's I think it's Osiris's avatar uh, is bringing um, Conchu's Ushapti to be placed in this vault where there are other stone statues. Very good. Other pris- imprisoned gods. Potentially, yeah. Uh, I potentially. Guess so. yeah. Just how many uh, stone statues are there? Excellent. Including Conchus. Yes, as well. include Conchus. Uh, that is the fourth question. All you need to do is put put that together with the answers for all six questions. Email them into us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and the fellow defender with the most correct answers will be in with a chance of getting their hands on some Moon Knight goodies uh, after the show wraps up. Currently aiming to record our postseason uh, review show or wrap-up show uh, after the 11th of May, so get your answers into us by the 10th of May. I think they announced today that the um, the assembled, the documentary on the making of uh, Moon Knight should be coming out around the 11th of May, so we're aiming for that as our kind of our, yeah. our wrap-up point. Definitely. So get all your answers into us by the 10th of May. Yes. And as always, thank you so much to, for listening along with the podcast. We want to give a major shout-out to all of the uh, supporters of the podcast, all of our fellow defenders who share the podcast, who send in their feedback, who send in their thoughts all the way through, and those on, on Patreon. Uh, this episode of the show is brought to you in part by our supporters on Patreon, uh, including Irene Ryan. Thank you, Irene. Yeah, thank you so much, Irene. You can support us on Patreon if you want to for any monthly amount. Just go over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries. You can support us with a one-off donation if you want to. Pop over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI and you can buy us a coffee uh, to support Keep us that way. Keep you in caffeine. Exactly, exactly. Indeed. And of course, there is 
always great support provided by you subscribing to the podcast, sharing it with your friends. Because remember, sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Indeed, it is, fellow defenders. Following that, it is on with the great feedback for episode three and episode four. Yes, yes. And so we have a lot of stuff from our fellow defenders. Yes, we do. Thank Uh, you so much for sending it in. Definitely. First off, an email in from Matt Gear around episode three. Matt says, Hello, gentlemen. Having been enjoying your podcast since first discovering you from the boys. Oh, great. My question is, do you think that Mark is the first personality and that Stephen was created as a more compassionate part of him after his divorce? It's just something that has been rattling around my head. Cheers, guys. Keep up the great content. Your fellow defender, Matt Gear. Thank you so much, Matt, for that. And yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Mm. And I don't know whether I have the ability as such to answer that yeah. in terms of, um, I guess, with having uh, dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. I think my understanding of it would be that there is a moment that has happened of trauma yeah. There were the yet different these different identities kind of then get established and yeah. interchange. Now maybe the divorce is that moment of trauma. I don't know whether there is something where it that trauma is closer to sort of an, a child or an adolescent, or whether it can establish sort of later in in life um sort of as an older adult i i don't that i'm not entirely sure about and i guess that might be were that could be informative for answering that question yeah i, I will say we do have some feedback coming up from uh, from lenya who's going to talk a little bit about did as well to give us uh, give us all a bit of a hand uh, on what did is um i i don't think it would be that you create a personality after a divorce it does usually come from a highly traumatic moment in childhood not usually from um, something that happens later in life, but uh, I'm going to leave it to Lenya to explain uh, that later on in her feedback. Yeah, and I mean, it'd be great to hear um, if anyone can also provide any uh, insight for, for Matt's question there. But a uh, great question, Matt. Uh, you know, really sort of um, exploratory, I think, you know, in, in finding out how and when this identity happened. Uh, so great stuff. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely great that you also listen to us over on The Boys as well. More yes. Boys coming later this uh, this year. Up in June, we've got season three of The Boys coming, which is yes. awesome. Yeah, looking forward to that. We also got some feedback in from Victor Von Doom, who says, Greetings, Defenders. Episode three was very intriguing. It kind of reminds me of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mark must have been a fierce mercenary. His fight on the rooftops was very exciting, even with the intrusion of Stephen to boot. The Ennead Council meeting and Inquest of Harrow was both eerie and magnificent. Conchu did not present much of a case at all. I don't think it matters much as the gods are prejudiced against him and Harrow played on that to clear himself of any wrongdoing. I would like to see a side episode explaining the gods' history and the banishment of Conchu. Who is the third identity of Mark Stephen? Will we see a third Moon Knight costume in the future? Stephen's knowledge of Egyptian history and myths did come in handy this episode. But Conchu forcing an eclipse was really fascinating, as well as moving space and time to the desired constellation. With Conchu imprisoned, will Mark still have access to the suit and powers? Oh, on my second watch, I did hear Conchu say there would be no protection for Mark in the future. I guess Mark, Stephen, and whomever 
else are on their own. As always, looking forward to your podcast and Defenders Feedback, Excelsior Victor Von Doom. Great stuff. Thank you, Victor, for that. Yes, indeed, they are naked um, as uh, as to Conchu's powers yeah. now that he has been uh, turned in, into stone. And um, I yeah. did like that insistence in this episode that, you know, Mark's a mercenary. He does have skills that Stephen might be able to unlock them if he's able to keep the body long enough. He may be able to unlock that muscle memory um, to get himself with the skills of Moon Knight. You know, there's a lot of people kind of a little bit critical of the fact that we have Mr. Knight in the show connected to Stephen and he's kind of the comedy um, sidekick yeah. almost. Yeah. He can't do the fighting and there's a possible way in there that he'd be able to have some of some of the fighting style let's say of of mark i I don't know whether it's going to happen but i like at least there was a nod to it definitely and i'm totally with you victor the rooftop fighting was really really exciting with both Stephen and mark uh intrusions in there but also Mm. with this you know mystery third person um as well and uh yeah the the depiction yeah. of inside the the great pyramids at, at Giza were just yeah very really good. Very really cool. good thank you Victor Thanks, for Victor. the feedback yeah we also got another email in from Suzanne Nielsen who had a question about episode three I do have a question about this episode do you guys know why the scarab that was supposed to be the way to find Amit's tomb all of a sudden wasn't important or actually was wrong. Did I miss something? Loving this show, and I think Oscar Isaac is mm. doing a great job. Oh yeah, one more question. Why doesn't anyone think that Ethan Hawke's shoes making that noise isn't a red flag for a psycho? Thanks for the great podcast, <laughs> Suzanne. Thanks, Suzanne. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. People have been pointing out, I guess my my hearing isn't as good as it used to be, John, because people have been pointing <laughs> out that every time Ethan Hawke walks, you can actually hear the crunching of the glass in his shoes <laughs> as he walks. Did you know that? Cause well, my hearing must be going as well because I can't really say I got that yeah, so we, much either. But, but yeah. now that I'm telling you, Let's go back and watch it and watch a scene that Ethan Hawke's in there because apparently you hear it every time. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll blow the neighbors out yes. of their houses with the volume <laughs> turned up. Uh, so it's like, yeah. ah, crunch. As for why the scarab was that was very important is no longer important. It's not that it's not important. It's that Harrow has the scarab. He has it with him. He's found the tomb now. Um, and now he's using it, as we see in this episode, he's now using it to find the tomb of Amit underneath. Yeah, in episode four, exactly. Yeah. But because. Um, Mark and Stephen and Layla didn't have it. They had to find an alternate way to get to the tomb. So Harrow was trying to head them off to make sure they couldn't get to the tomb in time. Yes, kind of give him a head start effectively. I think the main question I would have to sort of build on Suzanne's from episode four now is why was he only using it seemingly to get to where the burial chamber and the tomb and the sarcophagus was mm. when they had been there ahead of time. And he'd obviously lost quite a number of men in possibly going down the wrong, uh, well, maybe paths of the, the maze. And um, so, or as I say, possibly because a lot of them were scared off by, maybe uh, by yeah. the zombie, uh, zombie priest who's taking them out. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Suzanne. Yeah. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Jerry in Niceville also sent in some questions uh, on episode three. He says, hey, guys, 
Oscar Isaac again shows us why he is a great actor. Mm -hmm. First question, why do the gods allow Amit to have an avatar? Number two, Jake Lockley is likely the third persona, or will they create something new for the show? And question three, Layla possibly becoming an avatar for another god by the end of the series. Your loyal avatar, Jerry in Niceville. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. Um, you really uh, are a great voice of TV podcast industries <laughs> like and it. the Defenders in particular. Love getting in your thoughts yeah. on all the episodes that we cover. Um, and totally agree with you. Oscar Isaac is just so sublime. Really Certainly is, yeah. in episode three, I, I think I mentioned that change mm -hmm. director camera. Really good. Very and cool. again, we see that probably with cut editing happening between, uh, Mark and, and Stephen through the corridors of, yeah. of the, the, the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. As for your questions, um, why do the gods allow Amos to have an avatar? Uh, again, this might be just a bit of confusion that people had about what Harrow was telling people about who he is and what he's there for. He's not actually her avatar. He is someone that wants to be her avatar. Um, he's hoping that once he frees her, that's, the, that's the gift he'll get out of it. Exactly. To borrow from a horror movie, he's her number one fan. There I you guess. go. There you go. <laughs> uh, is Jake Lockley the third persona? We're all expecting is Jake Lockley. Um, one touch, though. Um, a lot of people are pointing to the first episode of the show where the security guard kept calling Stephen Scotty. Yeah. Um, so possible that Jake Lockley is Scottish and we'll see um oscar isaac doing a scottish accent and that's why the security guard was referring to him as scotty because he was hearing him with a scottish accent okay interesting possibility yeah. um or it it is just jake lockley it is it is the jake lockley that we've seen uh in the comic books then they'll just keep that uh keep that character but jake lockley can't sense a kind of like a scottish name yeah. He's a New York cabbie in the comic books, but that doesn't, that doesn't preclude think, him from being something different in the show. I think Lockley would have, like, at least Celtic roots, so it could be Scottish, yeah. um, or Irish, or, um, Welsh, you know, yeah. I guess. That I think there may be some, don't know the exact entomology, but I, it, it has a Scottish kind of Toast. flavor. It's quite harsh in, in the lock. Yeah. I guess. So, um, or Northern English, Viking y. I guess maybe possibly. that kind of thing. Possibly, but it's um, not going to be a Viking, though. No, but I mean, the harshness of the the abruptness <laughs> of the sound. I, guess. I know. I was only joking. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms, I, I think Layla. I think with certainly with her uh, father, the archaeologist. Mm -hmm. Certainly, that we've learned from episode four now. Uh, being a unique archaeologist, probably shunned because he believed that Egyptian gods walked among uh, people on Earth. Yeah, that uh, there is possibly quite a, a high chance of some kind of ancient Egyptian ley line that could make her be, um, yeah, a, an avatar for, for a god. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You may not now, but, you know, you could see it happening. There's the threat there that the threat, she'll, yeah. she'll become the avatar, can't you, if, uh, if Mark and, and Stephen are taken out, I suppose. Um, there's that threat, but there's also the possibility she could get a nicer job. She could just be the voice of... Uh, of another uh, another god so all she has to do is watch on and not have to participate in all the uh, all the action and fisticuffs <laughs> that uh, the fist of conchu has to i suppose yeah <laughs> yeah so that's possible right 
Definitely, definitely. Uh, thanks again so much, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coffee and Vodka has some thoughts on episode three too. He says, greetings, fellow pyramid prosecutors. As is now usual, writing before listening to your podcast, so I hope I'm not retreading anything. First, if you were finally on the journey to your lost god, wouldn't you remove the glass from your shoes or ride a camel or something? <laughs> if... If I were Amit, my avatar would have hell to pay for the delay. Saying this, I love the decidedly non-US-centric musical overlay to the Marvel logo and the big indie vibes with punching a man in the face with his own knife. That and the less than subtle, if as yet unannounced, introduction of Jake Lockley. What I'm not getting is that Amit's been buried in an unmarked location which should make her god a non grata and her avatar suspect from the word go between this and the remaining god's strange blindness to the excavation is it just me or is this a plot hole finally layla in the second appearance has firmly found her footing as our new guide into the four faces of mark love interest and combatively capable ally to moon knight i can see why Konshu coverts her body so to speak being the more mature and mentally put together partner in their duo may's understated portrayal fits now that we know a bit more of her character Mm -hmm. and she's been to madripoor i wonder if she met patch (laughs) for conjuring conchu's shattered sarcophagi and mache maps out of five peace and take care coffee and vodka p.s Am I the only one who didn't hear no fighting in the war room in my head during the trial scene? <laughs> no. Final PS, thanks for clarifying Harris a lead follower rather than an avatar, though this does strengthen the case against the gods for their avatars finding him trustworthy or credible. Yeah, I think that's... I can see absolutely your point of view here, to be honest, coffee and vodka, about um, it being that gap and um, i think i kind of let it slide at the time mm. but certainly um i think as uh victor has said i don't think conchu was particularly articulate in his defense and um, to to the gods mm-hmm. that were passing judgment however i think you're right they know that amis is imprisoned in stone yeah. obviously done something that has shamed her or something that the gods have disapproved of collectively mm. in the same way that Konshu did. At least but they Konshu, did back then. Yeah. But Konshu has come back from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming he was imprisoned. He may not have been. But so I guess the gods also believe in second chances to yeah. some extent. So Konshu was banished. He didn't have the same face ah, face as okay. Amit. Um, it's. I, I'm not going to call it a plot hole here, Coffee Vodka, but I, I understand why we may think that at the moment. I do get the feeling that those avatars or the gods themselves were not willing to listen to Conchu at all, regardless of what it was. He's playing around with the moon and stars, effectively. They told him not to do that, and he keeps waking them back up and trying to pull them back into the world. There's an almost sad moment when he accuses them of leaving the world behind, and they go... No, the Earth left left us behind. Humans forgot about us. We didn't stop being here. It's almost like American Gods in, yeah, in that way. Exactly. So it's like as if they were saying to him, why are you interfering with these things that forgot about us? 
so he's making trouble all the time. So so it felt to me like that whole rigmarole that was going on, they were called out of their watching over the world by Kanchu to make a big statement to them. It almost felt like they were always going to find against whatever Kanchu wanted, unless there was something massively compelling here. And he didn't really give them much to go on. And Harrow was pretty convincing about the fact that Kanchu is a desperate god. Yeah, and I, it, there's also the idea, is it a slightly rigged jury? That's the mean, um, yeah. As well, uh, to because Osiris and um, Harrow certainly are talking to one another mm-hmm. here, and ultimately Mark is given another route to find the tomb from one of the other avatars of the gods, even though they collectively agreed to imprison uh, Conchu. So it may not be as um, case closed with the gods as well. Exactly. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it unfolds. Absolutely. I think there's a few other machinations happening a bit more than I thought back then. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I think with this episode uh, and with, with Arthur Harrow in particular, and I think it is that distinction that he's not the the avatar. He is the number one fan. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thanks so much for your thoughts, Coffee Vodka. We have a general email in from Lena about DID and its portrayal on the show, and my kind of poor description in episode three. I was trying to avoid describing DID because I knew I was going to uh, mess things up. But thanks so much, Lena, for sending in your thoughts and your um, descriptions of of DID. Hopefully, uh, it'll give us some more insight into it. Absolutely. She says, hello, fellow defenders. Hi, my name is Lena one of the alters in the DID system, Douglas Vincent. For those of you who aren't aware, I've been really involved in the Into the Night podcast for a while now, helping to educate their listeners about DID. I, we have been listening to your show since WandaVision, and I always intended to write in when the Moon Knight TV show came along. But after hearing your somewhat confused explanation of DID in the third episode of your coverage, I decided that I need to help you out. Please understand, I'm not angry at all or offended by your misunderstandings. I just want to help you understand DID better. First of all, DID is actually the same thing as multiple personality disorder. It's just that multiple personality disorder is an outdated terminology. It was officially changed back in 1994. The fact that most people are still calling it multiple personality disorder 28 years later is a testament to how much education is needed regarding this disorder. DID is not something that anyone is born with. It is caused by severe and usually repeated and pervasive childhood trauma. It always starts in early childhood, before the age of seven or nine years old or so. That's because at that age, it's when a person's sense of self is fully solidified into one identity. If severe trauma occurs before that age, it can potentially cause the child's identity to diverge instead of converging, to form multiple distinct identities as a way of coping with the trauma. This is not a conscious decision on the child's part, but something that happens on the subconscious level. Therefore, you're correct in saying that if Stephen and Jake were aliases that Mark purposely created in adulthood, it would be impossible for them to become DID alters, both because Mark is too old to begin to have DID and because alters cannot be created on purpose. Having said that, once someone has developed DID in early childhood, they are able to potentially diverge more alters for the rest of their life. But usually as the system grows older and more mature, they develop better coping techniques and therefore new alters come along a lot less frequently. So far, I'm really impressed by the depiction of DID in the Moon Knight TV series. One thing that I really like is the fact that we got to know and empathize with Stephen first, not Mark. 
This emphasizes the fact that all the alters in the system are equally real, as opposed to many shows and movies that claim incorrectly that the alter who shares the first legal name of the body is the only real one, and the others are just fake, made-up characters, or voices in their head, or delusions, etc. The depiction of Mary Walker in Season 2 of Netflix's Iron Fist show also impressed me in that regard, that both of the alters seemed like real, actual human beings, not one-note caricatures. I like that way better than the depiction of Typhoid Mary in the comic books, which was a collection of the worst stigmatizing tropes about DID. Another thing I liked was the fact that in order for Mark and Stephen to switch on purpose, not counting spontaneous switches brought on by stressful situations, it requires the consent of both of them. This is also a lot more realistic to actual DID than a lot of other fictional depictions. The thing I didn't think was realistic was the fact that the alters need to look in a reflective surface to be able to communicate with each other. This makes for an interesting visual, but it's not really common for DID to work that way. We usually see or hear each other only in the internal world of our mind, not as external hallucinations. Experiencing hallucinations in the external world is far more common with schizophrenia, so when they continue to show as a common system of DID in fiction, it further encourages the incorrect notion that DID and schizophrenia are the same thing. But overall, I think that Moon Knight is doing a much better job of accurately and empathetically portraying DID than most other shows and movies I've seen about it. I hope this will help you and your listeners to understand DID a bit better. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask at all. I really enjoy your podcast and look forward to hearing the rest of your coverage of Moon Knight. Keep on defending, Lena. Lena, thank you so much. That really is helpful, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Uh, great stuff, uh, Lena. And thank you so much for sending uh, that information because, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's... Um, I know from my part, I... I um. I, I just that that history of that move from multiple personalities mm-hmm. uh, and then the the DID of dissociative identity like when it happens such as the question that we got from Matt Gear mm-hmm. there earlier about you know could he have done this to cope with the divorce and I, I think um you know you, you talk about the when it starts and when it's most likely to happen mm-hmm. uh, but also even though it's less frequent there could be different alters that come in possibly later on so mm-hmm. I, I think that just really helps to understand that you know um more than likely it's the earlier age childhood trauma yeah. but that doesn't preclude um the this these other things happening and i think it's just really informative for us to understand uh, DID better Absolutely. and for all our listeners to understand this as well. Um, because I mean, certainly when you talk about it, it being, um, be, being confused with schizophrenia and, and with that external representation mm. that's being done for the show, I, I, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, that's really kind of, I don't think I ever thought that there was a schizophrenia there, but certainly that that, misunderstanding it is something that could could happen um you know so i think it's really important like um that we have these great bits of of feedback and commenting on on what we say as much as we tend to talk uh on the shows and, and certainly when it has this sensitive um condition um in the same way as when we were also when we were talking about other um shows that have had other um you know very uh important 
uh, elements to be considered as yeah. much more than just the story. So, uh, Lena, really, really uh, great that you've been on board with uh, the defenders listening to us, and it's great to get the feedback on um, your thoughts around how Moon Knight is going, and also your thoughts on how badly I guess we've been portraying well. DID as well. And so, hopefully, we can. Uh, get that get that better so thank you so so much absolutely i know uh lena did send us in some feedback about a year and a half ago i think or about a year ago about uh, iron fist season two i just couldn't find a spot to put it in um to a, a podcast because we were way after covering uh, iron fist season two but i did say a big thank you to lena for sending that that feedback into us and great to get this feedback in from you now yeah good stuff uh, thanks, Lena, again. And um, finally, for episode three, we received a voicemail from Christian. Hey, all. This is Christian from Rantoul, Illinois. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast since WandaVision. Uh, it's been a really good uh, escape for me from all the crazy things in the last two years. So thank you for doing what you do. Uh, wanted to leave my feedback. Moon Knight episode three. I have heard a lot of people talking about whether he was turning back the time of the universe or uh, Kanshu was turning the entire universe around the Earth back 2,000 years. I don't think that's what was going on. I think it was more of an um, illusion or something because I think the implications of that would just be crazy. Uh, but, you know, people want to theorize. so they will um, kind of blow things out of proportion sometimes. But overall, I've absolutely loved the show. I uh, love getting your feedback every week. Um, really excited to see how this ties into Blade and uh, The Midnight Suns, because um, I was a big fan of those uh, movies. And I'm really excited for the Mahershala Ali uh, reboots. So uh, cheers. Uh, thanks for doing what you do. Thank you so much, Christian, for, for sending in the voicemail. Really great to, to hear you. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, thanks for, for being on board with, with the podcast and also with the shows that we cover. Yeah. That's really, really good. I'm, like yourself, really intrigued to see how this ties in with Blade. Uh, Mershahala Ali, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed, loved him as Cottonmouth King in uh, Luke Cage. Luke Cage yep. So I really want to see his portrayal of Blade. Mm -hmm. I love to see how it'll tie in with the the black knight um from mm -hmm. eternals as well you know i've seen a lot of stuff uh, about the the midnight suns at the moment you mm -hmm. know hopes and dreams of people so um that could be a, a nice little um team as well to, to build up now that possibly the uh avengers might not be around and <laughs> um, so really really good and i think yeah on turning back the 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 night sky i think i think that was me and my speculation i think week, it was it, it yeah. was you but yeah. certainly people noticed it yeah in cairo they did show that shot so even though it won't come with the the physical um manifestations <laughs> that we were saying yeah um and speculating on certainly it was noticeable, but I think you're right. It just probably just turning uh, the sky uh, 
around uh, this. Yeah, yeah. I was just having a bit of fun with it. I just, I, I, I was hoping, <laughs> since we hadn't seen the uh, Thor Love and Thunder trailer, I was hoping there was going to be some reference in the middle of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, great stuff, Christian. Thanks, and keep the voicemails coming in. Really good to hear from you. Absolutely. Over on Facebook, Heather Wallace says, much like Mark coming in mid-fight, I don't really know what happened in this episode. Mostly I was shocked Stephen used sticky tape on ancient fabric. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A Good curator, he yeah. ain't. Absolutely. Uh, I guess. Uh, thanks so much, Heather. Ronaldo from Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, says, I like the shift here as our attention turns to Mark in Egypt. The action scenes were great. And though I was pulled out a little by the obvious set when Mark takes on the three crims on the rooftop, <laughs> I still enjoyed it. The nod to Mark's boxing past is also shown when he jabs away at the guy locking his knife. Mm -hmm. Reminiscent of Indiana Jones and me loving every minute of it. Seeing the Ennead was cool and I loved the reference to Jeff Lemire's Overvoid. We saw five avatars there serving five gods. So who are the other four? Mm. Layla is fantastic and I beamed when the comparisons between her and Marlene were made. So much in this episode. Conchu now imprisoned and the first reference to Jake. So much to look forward to. Indeed, indeed there is. Uh -huh. um, for sure. I, like, like yourself, absolutely uh, loving every minute of, of this as well. And yet the, the reference here to, to Jeff Lemire's uh, run uh, and the Overvoid yeah. is really, really cool um, for sure. Yeah, it's really cool. Great to hear your thoughts, Ray. I know I um, listened into your podcast uh, before we recorded this one. So uh, great to hear your thoughts over on Into the Night. Uh, definitely go check out Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast definitely. for their thoughts about each episode of Moon Knight so far and all the comics as well. Uh, thanks, Ray. Uh, Dr. Bob Phillips says, I still know nothing about the story of this beyond what's presented here. But there seems to be a third Stephen, beyond Mark anyway, who isn't being spotted by Khonshu either. Jousting polo seems like an appallingly dangerous sport, <laughs> and while I appreciate the nod to bare-chested dictators warning us about sarcophagus odours, I don't quite get who the oligarch baddie actually was. Oh, black market antiquities and ethics of verification such, though, if respected academics should only verify that which they are sure which has been legitimately acquired. That's a fascinating thing to think about. I do very much enjoy the two suits, and if there is a third man, what will his suit be? I'm guessing a nondescript 50s off-the-peg Berliner style with soft trilby accessories. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Mm. <laughs> well, I guess a trilby could work for a violent psychopath. It might. It might. It's, it is really interesting, isn't it? Because from the comic books, it's not. this isn't the way it works. It's not no, like exactly. Stephen transforms into Mr. Knight and, and Mark transforms into Moon Knight. It's not, it's not like that in the comics. So if we're to see Jake, it's not necessarily that he'll also have another suit. It just made sense in the show because Stephen was being told to call on a suit that he picked out a suit from his mind and the suit twice. So that, that's kind of the way it is. It, it is. But... There is another possibility from the comic books. Um, his head sometimes is wrapped in a pillowcase, uh, particularly in a run in a ward. Um, so we may see uh, Jake Lockley appear with a pillowcase over his head. It um, would be interesting possibly. if that were the, <laughs> were the actual uh, suit. Yeah, remember, there's no magic ability here from Khonshu to form another suit. That so is true. It may just be a mask that he wears over his face in some way. 
But uh, really uh, pleased that uh, you're you're taking the the story as what's presented mm-hmm. here. Uh, that it, it it's hopefully making sense, and that you're uh, loving the black market uh, antiquities, and I guess yeah, the nod to the bare chested oligarch baddie in a pink bathrobe, no less. Um, yes. Yes. Imagine. An Abramovich in, in in a pink dressing gown. The mind boggles. <laughs> uh, but thanks so much, uh, Doctor Bob, for for sending the feedback. Really good to get your thoughts on uh, Moon Knight. Uh, Michael Booth on episode three says, "I must admit, I got a little lost in this episode. I didn't have the clean flow that I thought the last two had. I got all the story beats and the character changes, but it overall seemed a bit disjointed." and the fight seemed a bit off. The opening fight was weird. I thought they were going to stop it mid-fight and laugh like they were playing, or as if it was a film shoot or something. Mm. Maybe it was the banter, drawing circles on the ground, or weirdly licking the knife. Your podcast has implied there was at least a third persona. I guess we are starting to see it come out. I did wonder who asked out the tour guide from the first episode. Mark doesn't seem the type to be worrying about dates. Guess this third character is flirtatious and stabby. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the godness of the Ennead. I assume they are interdimensional beings rather than intergalactic like the Asgardians. Their power set seem more mystical rather than the technological alien nature we see from Thor and Loki. Uh, Michael. I like that, Thank you, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think you kind of right here. We were trying to find the term earlier in our coverage mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast, and it was the, the idea of being supernatural, or, or ultimately, yeah, and um, the, the unmystical, as you say, that, that kind of power being employed, and of course, being ultimately interdimensional beings, um, um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Sort of temporal across space and and time as well. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think, as you say, the godness of, of it, uh, it is probably uh, more important here than any techno uh, or, or technological explanation for what humans consider to be, to be magic. Um, so, Kind of interesting, but it's, it, it, it's interesting because we have had Eternals as well, which kind of gave a bit of a, a techno spin on sort of that creation element. So, yeah. um, again, another layer here in the different forces at work, I guess, in, in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah, every single possibility is available in Marvel Universe, remember. So uh, thanks so much for that, Michael. Uh, We have some feedback on episode four, today's episode, an email that came in from Coffee and Vodka, who says, Greetings, fellow Harrow Harried defenders. Possible recency bias aside, this may be the best post-Netflix single episode to come out of the Marvel small screen universe. Although I was disappointed to see Alexander the Great at the end of the rainbow rather than Ramatut for a nice Kang tie-in. Everything else shined. What a ride. My favourite moment had to be Mark at Stephen's little girl screams upon seeing Havarat at the end. <laughs> finally, the Indian, Indiana Jones and Brendan Fraser mummy homages don't feel like fan service, but rather a loving tribute. An absolutely fantastic episode. Five murderous mummies 
cuckoo nests and huggable hippos out of five. Nice. P.S. If you had to pick one favorite episode out of the entire Disney Netflix Marvel catalog, what would it be? Firstly, thanks, Coffee and Vodka, for your thoughts there. Uh, yeah, a Kang tie-in. Could we have seen um, a version of Kang in Moon Knight here? Yeah. Uh, sometimes he did take the appearance of, uh, of Ramatush uh, in Marvel Comics. So yes. a possibility we could have seen him uh, in him in here. But it uh, wasn't to be Alexander the Great instead. Yeah, um, I totally concur with everything you've said about this episode. Uh, loved it. Um, I... And I think, yeah, I guess Rama Tut would have just dialed it to 11, I guess. It would have been huge. Uh, yeah, yes. it would have been really, really huge uh, with the tie-in, uh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, John, what's, if you had to pick one favourite episode of the uh, entire Disney Netflix Marvel catalogue, what would it be? Oh, that's a toughy is, coffee and vodka. I, I mean, I don't do well with picking out one of... Um, Anything. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, if I was to go with the recent Disney, I absolutely loved the last episode of WandaVision mm -hmm. uh, from that series with the with with Agatha all along and just that whole reveal. Mm -hmm. And I really, really did enjoy the episode of Richard E. Grant uh, coming in as classic Loki and cool. um, that whole episode. Certainly for me, probably my favorite episode and. Moon Knight aside, because we haven't got through the whole series, but mm -hmm. it would be probably all of the episodes of Jessica Jones season one. There like, you go. <laughs> I just remember loving, loving yeah. David Tennant uh, in that. And it was just really, really fantastic TV. Um, I guess any episode of Daredevil or the Defenders that had Madame Gao in, I, I got obsessed with <laughs> Madame Gao. You did, didn't you? Um, and it's I the just point where she is a, a, a more favoured villain for you than Kingpin in some in some sense. Yeah, I just really <laughs> wanted to see more of her in mm. in the Daredevil and ultimately the Defenders show. Yeah, um, I thought she was just class. She was pretty cool. Yeah, she was pretty cool. Really class. So I don't know whether that helps, Coffee or Vodka. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I guess I'll only give one, and I'm going to go all the way back because you did say Disney, Netflix, Marvel catalog. So I'm going to go for the Marvel catalog. And since Agents of Shield is now on Disney, it counts. Uh, episode turn, turn, turn of Agents of Shield season one, where we had the big change of. Shield is no longer Shield, and everybody you know could be Hydra. Uh, was fantastically handled. That was good on TV, and yeah. having that coming straight out of Captain America and the Winter Soldier was a, a very special moment, uh, which you don't get very often. Even with all these things tying into TV shows and movies, you don't get a moment when you you can come out of the cinema and go and watch your episode of TV and have it so well tied in. Uh, they did do a little bit of that back in Hawkeye this year, though, which was also cool. Definitely. And I'm loving your huggable hippos out of five. I wonder if you could add in hungry as well. <laughs> hungry um, huggable hippos. I like we'll, it. we'll see whether um, the the goddess of childhood and fertility, uh, Tarat, um, is also hungry she in could the next be. episode, I'm wondering. Uh, next up on email, Parthenia Locklear says... Hey there, everyone. Wow. Just wow. I just finished watching and I seriously did not want it to end. Mm -hmm. When Layla was running away from the zombie, for lack of a better word. I think that's an acceptable word, Parthenia. Uh -huh. uh, I felt like this was an Indiana Jones movie 
then when they showed the Stephen Grant movie clip, it all made sense that I would feel that way because apparently that is how they wanted us to feel. Mm-hmm. Arthur Harrow does that thing that all the villains do when they tell you bits and pieces of the story so that it causes tension among the heroes. Then the person has to figure it all out throughout multiple episodes. I hate that. I really do. Was I the only one wondering how Mark was going to fend off the thugs with only a hatchet? I spent this whole episode waiting for another identity to pop out, and I thought that was the moment. I was wrong, and instead they answered my question and showed us how one fights a small army with only a hatchet. That's true, yeah. I let out a huge gasp when Arthur shot him. I totally wasn't expecting that. I'm now confused, in a good way, because I absolutely cannot predict what is going to happen next, and I love that. So Stephen was trapped in a sarcophagus, and they show us another. Could that be the third identity? Was the hippo woman Amit? I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Until next week, Parthenia. Thank you so much, Parthenia. The hippo woman most definitely wasn't Amit. Um, it was uh, Haret. I don't know whether I'm pronouncing it right. It's T-A-W... A R E T, but it's given with a H H sound, oh, okay. so it's Harret. Very good. Um, and uh, yes, it, she is a protective goddess of kind of fertility and childhood in in, in that kind of area. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it definitely not on it though. Yes, yes, exactly. Thanks so much for your feedback. Uh, glad you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um. Parthenia, and we enjoyed it as much as you did as well. <laughs> so, excellent. Uh, back over on Facebook, the reactions are just coming in about the episode. Uh, first up, Brandy Elise Anderson says, What an episode. By far the best to date. But my question is, how have you all been waiting to see what's next after watching that episode? <laughs> exactly. Brandy. Uh, not very well, Brandy. Yeah, um, we, we have just been parsing it out. We watched Picard. Um, we watched the couple of episodes. We podcasted about them just so the shortness of gap between this week and next week is the same for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the reasons why we kind of didn't do this ahead of time yeah. because, yeah, it was just... No, we, we kind of want to be in the moment because it was such a big episode. Exactly. And, and it's great to get the feedback in at, at the moment, as Derek said. Absolutely. Brandy continues, Well, I was right about Harrow not being Amit's avatar and about Mark not killing the anthropologist being another victim and that that is what led him to meeting Khonshu. No lie, I totally jumped when Layla was grabbed. I knew it was coming, but I was expecting her to turn around and it was in front of her on the ledge. I love how that scene was shot and I loved Layla's reaction to what happened. Just lay there and yell. And to look up and find Harrow watching like this was some science experiment, seems on par with his creep factor. I have to say, if you take anything from the Midnight series, let it be to pick better times and places for deep talks, or if you're Stephen, to take over the body. Seems like a lot of ridiculous choices at the moment when you're in peril. But yeah, I understand Mark needs to work on his communication, but he seems to be the only one who's got good timing for when said communication should occur. The ending was amazing it was cool to see the easter eggs in this episode that referenced previous episodes we saw crawley donna the goldfish the ankle restraint billy and bobby the cops that work for arthur harrow beck the drawing of Konshu, a moon knight action figure the rubik's cube donna had a stuffed scarab cupcakes the postcards layla has the candy from episode three and tara was the plush in episode one 
I love that while Stephen screams and backs away, Mark screams but makes his, makes fists and stands his ground when he saw Tarot. Excellent. So many moments in there at the Brandy. Really, really good moments. Yeah, I love that um, I hadn't picked out Donna with the stuffed scarab yes. at all. It's a really good. Uh, and all the Rubik's Cube for that matter. Um, but uh, totally with you here. Uh, you know, such a great, great episode. Um, yeah. And and you were saying it's the forger that's drawing uh, Conch, is it? Or is it just another of of, uh, of Harrow's followers that's I drawing I think the it's scar- the, the forger. Conchu. So I think the lady who is drawing Conchu was the forger who was getting Layla's Egyptian oh, passport um, in at the start of episode three. Although how would how would Mark or Stephen know what she looks like? Well, that that that's true. That's pos- That's a possibility. Mm. I I just assumed that she was there because that is Layla's longer time associate has done true. the the yeah. forgery work for I guess for Madripoor doing yep. documents on different things, and so Mark would also know her. What was being married and That's true, doing, of course. Uh, mercenary work yeah. as well, possibly. She did know them very, very well. Yeah. Did them very well. Excellent. So thank you, Brandy. Yeah, thank you, Brandy. William Walson on Facebook says, given Stephen and Mark can both exist in the psychiatric hospital, could one of the other people we see be the third personality? Mm. Could there be more than one other personality we haven't met yet? It's reminiscent of the underground we see in Doom Patrol, where all of Jane's personalities live when they aren't the dominant one who is controlling her body. Oh, interesting. And that could be an interesting idea mm-hmm. as well, yeah. To So actually, there could be a third person at the moment, and that's a fourth. That's that's yeah. entirely possible. Entirely really, yeah. possible. I must say, I haven't seen Doom Patrol, so I don't know the the actual um, the actual character. I think we only watched one or two episodes of that. Uh, even though we're enjoying it, just too many shows, William. Uh, but that's that's could be interesting. Yeah, we could be seeing some more uh, identities come out. Interesting. Yeah, great stuff, uh, William. Uh, thanks for the theories. Absolutely. Uh, Finally, yeah. Richard Blaze says, binge the four episodes today, really enjoying them. Then the last 10 minutes had me thinking I was watching Legion again. <laughs> Utterly confused, but cannot wait for next week. That's Excellent. how I felt about all three seasons of Legion. I loved watching it and had no idea what was going on half the time. Yeah, I loved it and then stopped watching it because I didn't know what was going on. See, listen to it. I need to go it. back to it because I was enjoying it. I was loving Legion. It's really, really um, good. And luckily, Moon Knight has only got two episodes left uh, in that sense. But isn't it exciting that they're able to do this in the main MCU? Oh, now? I, Legion absolutely. was kind of, as you mentioned earlier on, Legion occasionally had to deal with small budget issues. So they did some things that were way out of the box that you wouldn't be able to do in main <laughs> MCU shows, yep. so um, it's interesting that they're doing this in a main MCU show with with Moon Knight now. So uh, I'm intrigued. I think that, I think yeah, that goes, gives a level of trust with your audience if you're going to do something like this Absolutely. and make them wait a week afterwards. And hot off the presses, even more feedback on this episode. Uh, first up, Dr. Bob Phillips says, anyone else expecting the Tuscan Raiders to show up throughout the first 15 minutes? <laughs> Props to for the worst kiss ever shown on screen and to think such a handsome man could snog so badly. Fascinated by the escape room thinking of Stephen as he led the daring duo through the tomb. The fresh evisceration by the terrible mortician was squelchy delight, and their flary finale seemed to stretch that, but as long as it was needed. 
Harrow really is a terribly evil manipulator. The playing out of the Mark Layla dad story was perfectly done. We seem to be solving just enough of the mysteries to give us satisfaction without resolution. The last 10 minutes have done my head in. Just like Buffy going normal again with such a magnificent hippo twist too. Excellent stuff there, Bob. Yeah, the, the hippo twist was great. It was. Um, unexpected voice, I guess, coupled to relatively <laughs> cutesy uh, look if a hippo on its hind legs uh, is cutesy. It's certainly cutesier than a hippo staring you down in the, in the wild. Yes, and <laughs> uh, evisceration by the uh, the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... I think uh I I think with the the kiss the, other, the the thing that we forgot to mention was yep. uh Stephen hitting himself or Mark briefly manning, managing to sort of pull through there to to punch uh Stephen in the chops after kissing his I guess ex-wife at this stage or, or they separated have, they haven't divorced yet no separated papers are not signed so yes. uh yeah that was a nice little touch uh, as well and you're totally right. The kiss from Stephen itself is so awkward and uncomfortable. It does seem like there's a look on Layla's face when he kisses her going, that's not my husband, almost. That's like true. Yeah. It looks like a completely different kisser. Than, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, who was a chair that said uh, you can tell whether he loves you by his kiss? Is that the, uh, was that the song? The Shoop Shoop song? <laughs> not part of it. Well, okay, we'll try that. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, <laughs> I think uh, totally agree with you, uh, Bob, around Harrow. I think um, he is a great evil manipulator mm-hmm. um, yeah. for sure. And it played out really nicely. Absolutely. Oh, and your final point on the final 10 minutes of this episode being like that Buffy moment where she goes normal again. That's That's a moment back in Buffy when it returns to... Uh, who we think is Buffy Summers, but she's sitting in an asylum yes, saying that everything has been a dream up to that point. So, yeah, it was one of those ones that was a really shocking moment for Buffy fans when you're watching the episode and then never returned to again. It's kind of left to be in the back of your mind that maybe the whole series of Buffy never existed. So I wonder, will they do that with Moon Knight? I don't think so, but I wonder, will they have this as an overarching question forever? Was it all a dream like people think Lost was or something like that? Yes, yeah. There you go. Excellent. Thanks, Dr. Bob. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Bob. Uh, Victor Von Doom uh, said, bogus bingo. Only 15 numbers in bingo. And I think Mephisto is waiting for Dr. Strange. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We did have another comment as well from Claire Laffer saying, will someone please let poor Mephisto out of that third sarcophagus? Uh, So, yes, I wonder... Is he around? We are talking about gods and <laughs> things like the heavens and the underworld. So it could all fit in that wheelhouse. But I love Claire coming in with um, her, her little Mephisto bits for mm-hmm. uh, each of these Marvel things. Now that that has uh, sort of she's kept it going, shall we say, in, in a really good way. As we said, in, the, in this show, it seems more like. Is that Jake? Is that Jake? Do you think that's Jake? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is a bit more of a this time. And Victor, I wish now my out of five had been Bingo Bango, uh, to be honest. Mm. Uh, I know you say bogus bingo. I'm not too sure of the numbers in bingo. I've played it, but I just can never remember can never it. Remember. And of course, yeah. I think we were once invited to um, the dance bingo which was like a, a rave with bingo numbers oh, by right. our friend yes yeah. um 
sadly, we didn't go. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been something to, to put on the old resume <laughs> of, uh, of Nights would. Out, wouldn't it? Um, so, yes, uh, bingo can take many forms, I guess. That's true. Uh, so maybe there are ones with 50 numbers, but I just can't remember. Uh, so thanks so much, Claire, and thank you, Victor, for the Facebook feedback. Absolutely. Oh, and Brandy uh, Lee Sanderson added to her comment from earlier on, um, says she realizes that she forgot to add a reason why she thinks the Institute is fake. It's because we're seeing stuff that isn't in just Mark or Stephen's head. Mostly I'm thinking about Layla and the Candy, which is a scene that did not include Oscar Isaac in it. So that's possibly an explanation for what I was talking about earlier on, about maybe the forger uh, is in the head because maybe that's coming from Layla not from Mark or Stephen or as you said John that could be coming from Mark because being her husband he may have met uh, the forger before and may know about uh, Layla's penchant for eating that particular type of candy yeah no absolutely but it's a really good point that might play out in that way for sure yeah yeah. Uh, Ray from it tonight the Moon Night podcast had his thoughts about episode four as well he said absolutely brilliant episode if the Indiana Jones tomb raiding wasn't enough with nice dynamics between Layla Stephen and Mark then the full-on slap in the face of the final act was just priceless I've never been happier watching a tv show than to see Jeff Lemire's Moon Knight brought to life I have no feet to stand on now. Where to from here? What's real? What isn't? It's such a fun position to be in and is exactly what I was hoping they'd capture for the Moon Knight series. The ambiguity is there and it really can go either way. Three scenarios. The Asylum is Mark's mindscape. Everything we've seen from episode one to three was all in Mark's head. And the Asylum is real, but we're getting some bleed over still with Mark seeing Stephen and Tarawat. Or there's some sort of limbo of the afterlife, which could explain how or why Tarawat is there. She is the goddess of life and fertility. Yes, indeed. Interesting theory. Like we were saying about her having another name of Mother of Heaven. Mm. So uh, it certainly could be, yeah, that afterlife side of it. Or, yes, part of it is one side of it is real the other isn't yeah. or vice versa so um yeah really good stuff ray and uh, so glad you are enjoying uh seeing not only moon knight but also just seeing this 180 as well yeah uh with the change and bringing lemire's uh comic to into life. the tv show it's really good yeah, yeah. really cool adrian johnson on facebook said mark punching stephen for kissing layla the fact that the scene was just Oscar Isaac hitting himself, but we all understood the context of what just happened without words. Brilliantly done. Yes, it really, really was. Um, I, I keep thinking back to the stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. Well, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think both of us have put that in our notes about, <laughs> yeah. uh, about Mark uh, hitting Stephen after warning him off his wife and then completely forgot to mention it on the podcast. So thanks so much uh, for bringing that up back up, Adrian. Yeah, thank you, Adrian. Also, we got an email through from Victor Von Doom. Uh, he says, Greetings, Defenders. I thought last week's episode was full of WTF moments, but episode four is one big WTF. <laughs> Layla kills a hecker priest who withstood gunfire with a flur. I'm impressed. Her takedown of the mounted gun jeep was cool. Mm-hmm. Harrow using a gun to kill Mark seems odd. Is Crowley an action movie hero? Is the mental institution hell? Mm. I was stunned to see all the characters and objects from the previous episodes here. Harrow is the chief shrink. I find it mind-blowing that some of what we have seen so far is real and the rest fabricated from Mark's mind. 
By the way, who was in the second sarcophagus? Was it Jake? It seems Mark holds no animosity towards Stephen and Layla's kiss. They hug each other, then meet Tauret. What does the god of fertility want with those two? To be honest, I would scream as well. Hippos are fiercely territorial and dangerous. <laughs> Indeed they are. I guess that's why they no longer inhabit the banks of the River Nile uh, going through <laughs> Egypt as well. I think mm-hmm. the Egyptians probably uh, saw to that. <laughs> mm. uh, probably quite nice meat, I guess, as well. But anyway. Okay. I think you time, need dinner, John. You know, har- <laughs> I mean, you know, harvesting the natural resources. Okay. Uh Anyway, I digress. Victor uh, continues. Could Mark and Stephen be entrapped in the same realm as the banished deities? It seems Osiris could be the only one benefiting from Harrow's quest. One big WTF. Excelsior, Victor Von Doom. (laughs) Thank you so much, Victor. Um, Yeah, I I am beginning to think from this episode as well that not all of the gods are mm. against um, Harrow yes. and that maybe they're using him to further an agenda of their own. And certainly I think it is Osiris's avatar that puts Konshu's Ushbashti um, into that vault as mm. well. That's right. And so that could be... A, a signifier of something and yeah. you know him putting his obstacle out of uh out of the way that's entirely so possible, yeah. it, it's it's an interesting one for sure yeah absolutely thanks thanks so much victor for your thoughts i could tell uh you were writing it because that while you were watching the episode because that's exactly how my lo- my notes looked is this what's happening oh is this what's happening maybe this is happening <laughs> so i had to go back and rewrite my notes a couple of times to kind of connect them all but definitely one thing to pull out from you um, which we didn't mention, Layla and her flares in the episode were amazing. That's what her toy will come with uh, when it comes out. I'd say uh, a bunch, a pack of flares because she took out um, the driver of the of the car. She uh, put the flare on top of the bullets, which blew up uh, the vehicle. She took out the uh, the attacking priest, all with the red flares. It is definitely her weapon of choice mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, the other thing on Layla with the the fight with the Hecker priest, mm. I really did um, enjoy him using his so when when his hand has come off using the <laughs> the, the the sharp the stump, stub yeah. of the bone uh, to use as a weapon to try and pierce uh, Layla I thought that was really kind of ingenious and, and luckily she managed to avert uh, being cocktail sticked I guess yes yeah. absolutely absolutely thanks Victor for your feedback as always yeah, thanks, Victor. And finally, for feedback, we had an email in from Suzanne Nelson, who says, Awesome. This show gets better with every episode. I particularly liked the scenes in the psychiatric hospital, seeing all the characters in their new roles. Is Stephen and Mark's third more violent persona the one they have locked in the sarcophagus? Isn't the hippo goddess Taurus the god of fertility? What is she doing there? This show has shades of the mummy, Indiana Jones, combined with one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> exactly. I like it. Yeah. I do have a question about the start of the episode. Redacted. Excellent episode. Looking forward to your comments <laughs> inside. Keep defending Suzanne. I'm saying redacted because Suzanne, well done. We'll put this in as the answer to uh, to this week's pub quiz question because you've literally answered the pub quiz question for this week. Yes, you have <laughs> the power of foresight. Uh, seemingly. Um, Very as you have got 
the the answer to the pub quiz question. Yeah, you know the way they say that you get into the mind of somebody that, that's doing crosswords. Uh, you, you eventually yeah. get into the mind. Yeah. You can kind of guess their clues from uh, from the crosswords. I guess Suzanne has gotten into your uh, pub quiz writing mind, John. Yes, it, <laughs> it looks that way for sure. Yeah. Well, this is that. Let's just say, in the words of Monty Python, those imprisoned gods have been a very naughty boy. Very possible. Very Boys, possible. Girls. <laughs> Boys and girls. Exactly, exactly. Thanks so much, Suzanne. Yeah, thanks so much, Suzanne. Good job on guessing the quiz. Absolutely. Answer. (laughs) Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much to everybody for your feedback on the episode. Keep it coming in. Keep emailing us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. Yes, we will be back later this week with the next episode of Star Trek Picard, episode eight. And of course, we will be coming back next week for episode five, the penultimate episode of Moon Knight. Mm -hmm. It's been great talking about this episode of Moon Knight and uh, really looking forward to the rest of the season. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. Yeah, as always, fellow defenders, really good chatting to you about all things Moon Knight. Great feedback thoughts, theories, uh, and a, a special shout out to Lenya for uh, a really great email uh, and informative email on DID. Absolutely. So please, fellow defenders, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep defending. Bye. Bye. Bye.